The Old Testament reading for this, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 58th chapter. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover him? And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. And this is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The epistle reading comes from the first letter of St. Paul to the church in Corinth, the second chapter. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In this world, some assumptions are pretty safe. When you go to a church potluck, you can assume that there will be some awesome dishes to choose from. If you get a phone call about your unnamed vehicle's warranty expiring, you can assume that it's a scam. When that car that's been whipping in and out of traffic and been riding your tail for the last few miles finally goes around you in a no-passing zone, you can assume it's going to have Illinois plates. (laughs) Or at least Lynn County. These are safe assumptions. Not only because you're usually right, but because if you happen to be wrong, it's no big deal. You're just a little bit surprised and you get on with your life. In fact, it can sometimes be a pleasant surprise for our assumptions to be wrong. I assumed that I would hate fish tacos because I thought it combined tuna salad and refried beans. Turns out I was wrong, and they're actually quite tasty when you make them the right way. And so more often than not, whatever our assumptions might be, they're pretty safe one way or another. But if we make wrong assumptions about Jesus... That is not safe at all. Jesus says in our gospel reading today, do not think, or an even better way to translate that word is assume, do not assume that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, which is what many people in the world, ourselves included, want to assume. Because it makes everything a whole lot easier. If we don't have to worry about the law, we can live our lives any way we want. We're more open, we're more loving, we're more caring, it seems. But if we assume that the point of Jesus' birth and death and resurrection is so that we can just do whatever we want, if we assume that he came to just get rid of all those stuffy, cumbersome rules of old, well, then we don't have the real Jesus in mind. And our assumptions are very, very unsafe. Not just because we're dead wrong about them, but because the consequences of those assumptions can be eternal and terrible. Oftentimes we assume that since Jesus died for us, 
We don't have to worry about that troublesome law anymore. Jesus is our Savior. He is our friend. Why would he hold us accountable? Why would he give us rules to follow if he loves us? He forgives everyone, so why should we care about the law anymore, we ask ourselves. And we don't want to offend anyone, and so we just shouldn't say anything at all about sin, we assume. Keep our mouths quiet and let the world go on its merry way, because that's just friendlier to everybody. We don't want to stand out from the crowd. And so we just say that whatever our culture is doing, it's probably good and pleasing in the eyes of God, and that he's still speaking through our culture. And whatever the majority of people believe, well, then God's cool with that. And we certainly don't want to make any changes to our own lives. And so we just assume that God loves us just the way we are. And since he forgives, there's really no need to worry about denying ourselves anything, changing our sinful ways, or just even moving away from that sin that wants to fill our lives. We assume that being a Christian should be easy and simple. It should involve no effort whatsoever. We assume that it shouldn't involve any inconvenience on our part. We assume that Jesus is just kind of this after-death sort of thing. And as long as we're healthy and able-bodied, we should just enjoy life to the fullest. And we really don't have to pay that much attention to Jesus until the end when we really need him, and then he'll kick in kind of like a good insurance policy. We assume these things because this is what we want to be true. We want to live a life of sin. Our sinful nature wants to rule over us, and we want to let it, because that's easier to do. It's way easier to just do whatever comes to mind and comes to hand, rather than hearing the word of the Lord and living by it. And so we assume that this is what Jesus would want from us. But then along comes Jesus, the real Jesus, and he blows our assumptions about his law clean out of the water. He tells us that being a Christian will not be easy. He says, you are a city on a hill. You will be visible. You will be seen. And you will be targeted by the world that hates you and that hates his word. To live according to the word of God is to make yourself a target and to be under attack. And what's more, you will be attacked from within by your own sinful nature that says, it's okay for me to do this. Everybody else is doing it. I like to do it. Nobody can see me doing it. So obviously it's fine. And you'll be expected to resist, to fend off temptation and sin and satanic assault rather than just opening up the gates and surrendering and saying, come on in and take me under your control. We may assume, that is, hope, that Jesus came to just get rid of his law and to give us free license to do whatever our wicked hearts desire. But that, dear Christians, is a terribly unsafe assumption. Jesus makes it very clear, here and in many places, that he has not abolished his law, and he never will. The word of the Lord stands 
forever. It does not change to fit our desires. It does not change to fit our culture. It isn't flexible and movable depending on who's in office or what's happening in the world. And we as Christians are called to obedience and dedication to that word. And he says, those who relax his law, even the least of it, and teach others to do the same, they will be called to account for their sin. And that's the hard part. Because when we live a life of sin, even if we're not actively promoting it and writing out manifestos saying this is good and right and salutary, our actions speak louder than our words. And we teach the world around us that sin is fine when we engage in it rampantly. But Jesus tells us otherwise. He tells us that sin is bad, that it is evil, it is destructive, that it destroys you and those around you, and we should not follow in the ways of the world. He says that we as Christians are to be the salt of the earth. What exactly does that mean? Well, what does salt do? This time of year, especially in Iowa, we're all pretty familiar with salt, aren't we? And we know where the salt is and where it isn't. Wherever salt is, its presence is obvious. It changes the things around it. Its influence spreads. It has an impact on everything that it touches. Melting ice, eating through your car, killing weeds, flavoring your french fries. Have you ever had unsalty salt? Salt that does nothing. Salt that you're not even sure it's even there. No, you haven't. Because that's not salt any longer. Salt, by nature, impacts the things around it. As Christians, we are not only to let God's law impact our own lives, but the lives of those around us as well. We are called to let our Christian light shine out like that city on the hill, boldly living according to God's word, making others who live in darkness see that we are different and we have something new and different to offer than this world. We are not supposed to just blend in, do little secret Christian-y things here and there that nobody sees and nobody can accuse us of. We are to let our God-given righteousness fill our lives and radiate out into the lives of those around us, even when it's offensive to them, even when it's difficult for us, even when it is deemed hateful and bigoted and closed-minded by this world of sin and depravity. We are to be lights in this world of darkness. We might assume that Christian living isn't really all that important, but Jesus tells us that it is. He tells us that our righteousness must exceed that of even the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, we know, were the pinnacle of righteousness. They knew God's word inside and out, and they lived it out to the letter, even if not the spirit. They lived it out and made a public show of how good they were and proclaimed to the world that their righteousness was better than yours. Our righteousness has to be better than that even. If we relax the law or teach others to do so, we are called least in his eyes. And if we take it so far as to, let our, as to love our sin more than his word, we are rejecting his forgiveness. We are putting ourselves beneath his eternal wrath and saying we prefer sin. 
To be a Christian takes effort. It means to lovingly, joyfully obey God's law, to live differently from the sinful world around us, to turn away from that siren song of temptation that leads to our destruction and pain and sorrow. And since we know that in heaven there is no sin whatsoever, if we want to enter in there, our righteousness not only needs to exceed that of the Pharisees, it needs to be absolute perfection. Now, pastor, you might say, how do we know that all of that is right? Maybe your assumptions about what Jesus thinks are wrong. Fair question. But you see, an assumption is based on what you think, what you feel, what you presume. Our sinful assumptions about Jesus are usually so wrong because they skip over the objective facts of what Jesus has said and instead try to insert what we want to be true. But when you look at the actual words of Jesus Christ, when you see the entire context of his ministry, the entirety of his words spoken through scripture, you're not making an assumption. You're simply speaking the truth that he has given to you. And the sad truth is that we sinners are dead wrong. And to try to cling to our false assumptions is extremely dangerous for ourselves and for those around us. And that hurts. That crushes our egos. That makes us wonder what we can possibly do. After having all of our wrong assumptions so thoroughly destroyed by the word of God, we are tempted to lose heart. We look at our pitiful, wretched lives and we despair. We see how very wrong we are, how very guilty we are, how very short of God's perfection we fall daily. And we assume that there is no hope for us. But once again, Jesus comes to us and he says, do not assume. In love and in mercy, the gospel of Jesus Christ destroys our wrong assumptions about our sin as well. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to do something far, far better. He came to fulfill it. By fulfilling his perfect law in our place, it no longer bars us from heaven. It is no longer our master that says, you cannot enter his kingdom. We are no longer enslaved to it. The law of God, it is good. And it serves to protect our lives from the evils of sin. But since we can never fulfill it perfectly, Jesus came to fulfill it in our place. So that we can be proclaimed innocent and holy. Jesus came to us. Not just to make us feel good about ourselves. Not to let us live like guilt-free animals enslaved to sinful lusts and instincts. But he came to snatch us from the fires of hell. Jesus came not to live up to our sinful assumptions, but to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He came not to throw out the law, but to fulfill it in his own flesh. To live that perfect life that was required of the law that we never could. And then to sacrifice himself in our place. Our righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, it now does. He has atoned for your sin. He has paid for it in full. 
It is no longer on your ledger. It has been erased as if it never happened. By grace, through faith, all who look to Jesus Christ and trust in his atoning sacrifice, we are proclaimed holy, innocent, and righteous before the judgment throne of God. When we fail, when we succumb to sin, we are cleansed and we are forgiven. Now this doesn't mean that we just keep on sinning since someone else is paying the bill. That's an abuse of his grace. And doing that says that you love your sin more than you love God's grace. But when we do fall into sin, we need not despair. Because God's grace is far greater than our sin ever could be. Jesus Christ took upon himself all of our sin, and he gave to us his holiness and his perfection. His righteousness, not ours, covers us and makes us worthy to enter into his eternal kingdom of heaven. This is the great comfort that we have as Christians. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good God is. And knowing his goodness, knowing his grace, knowing the price that he willingly paid to redeem us, why in the world would we want to do anything but obey his gracious law that he lays down for our protection? Dear Christian, do not assume that the will of Jesus Christ is the same as your sinful mortal will. Because living that way, Embracing your sin, choosing the wicked ways of the world and your own heart over God's word, that puts your soul in eternal jeopardy. Assuming that Jesus wants you to embrace your sin is a very unsafe assumption. But you are also wrong to assume that you are so wretched that you cannot be saved. The law of God is not something that we get to just discard because we want to. But the gospel of God, is not something that your sin can ever overwhelm. Even though you're a sinner, even though you deserve only eternal condemnation, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law in your place, to purchase you with his innocent blood, to make you his own forever. He suffered and died to set you free from sin, death, and hell. He has opened the gates of heaven to all those who look to him in faith, and he has set before you his perfect law to guide, direct, and protect your life so that you can live in peace and safety. And so that, as he says in our reading, others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But even when you fail to live by that word, even when you stumble and fall into your sin, you are loved and you are forgiven. Not by your deeds or by your obedience to the law. And certainly not because Jesus just abolished the law so we can do whatever we want. You are saved by the glorious truth of the gospel that Jesus so clearly gives to us in his blessed and eternal word. That by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins and eternal life is yours. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.